Welcome to QAV. This is episode 418, season 4, episode 18, recorded Monday the 3rd of May, very early in the morning. Um, I'm just doing a little bit of an introduction because this week, uh, Tony and I were down at his property at Cape Shank in Victoria. It was very, very lovely. Nice of him to invite Chrissy and I down. But uh, we're sitting on a lounge. Uh, we didn't have all of our proper microphones and stuff, so I've got a little microphone plugged into my iPad and it was sitting on the lounge between us. Consequently, the audio quality is not the best. It's a little bit echoey in his room, but um, it's hopefully good enough. Um, and then at the end of the interview, uh, sorry, the end of the show, I actually, uh, you'll, you'll hear some audio. Uh, we had a, a dinner uh, down in Melbourne with the QAV Club subscribers. There was about a dozen people down at dinner at a Japanese restaurant in Paran on Monday night. And then towards the end of the dinner, I passed a microphone around the table and got everyone just to share their thoughts on what they've learned, what the most important thing is they've learned from QAV since they've been subscribed. Uh, some people there had only been subscribing for weeks. Uh, some had been uh, subscribing to the show for a couple of years, so it was a really great range of insights and perspectives on investing in QAV, so uh, I hope you'll enjoy that. So uh, without further ado, uh, here's episode 418. All right. Well, welcome back to QAV, Tony. Hey, Cam. This welcome is... to Cape Shank. Thank you. My first time at Cape Shank. It's very shanky. <laughs> Is that a thing? Who's if you play golf? It's not a good thing. <laughs> Very beautiful view you have here out of your windows. We're recording this on uh, Monday, 3rd of May, 9.16am. Um, very beautiful view out of your window of links. Ooh. Very, very pretty. Very Ooh. pretty out here. It is good, isn't it? Well, um, I've got to be somewhere, despite you keep you're continually telling me I don't need to leave. Um, I know you just want to keep me here. Um, let's, so let's get into the show. Uh, BPT, Beach Petroleum. Yep. Collapsed, crashed, Collapsed. died. It did, yeah. People are uh, panicking in the streets on our <laughs> Facebook group. What do we do? Um, looks like they had some um, overly optimistic projections about some of their oil wells. Yeah, possibly. I'm not sure that they did. I mean, they've always been saying that, that the oil well you're talking about, which I think is called Western Flank, um, was going to end. And oh, five or so years ago, they, they knew that was going to happen. So they bought Origins, Origin Energies, gas and oil um, upstream business. And so they were, they were buying that to replace Western Flank. Western Flank went on for longer than they thought but then almost collapsed in the last little while. So there's been a bit of a flurry of activity around that. But uh, yeah, like I can't find a whole heap to get upset about. There's gonna be a, there's gonna be a write down in the next, uh, next annual results, which will hit their balance sheet. So they'll, they'll write down, I think it was only about 5% of reserves, um, 25 million barrels. There's actually a good presentation on, um, on one of their latest alerts, either get it through Stock Doctor or through the ASX website on what's going on, um, which goes into more detail. I'm just kind of summarising it here. Uh, so there'll be a, a write down of uh, a little bit of reserves, which will hit their balance sheet, uh, which is a non-cash impairment, so it probably won't hit their P&L. Um, and uh, my guess is it's it's still in a good position to weather this out because it's um, got lots of cash. It's been paying down debt. Uh, and they still have plenty of oil reserves, even though they're going to take a, a hit to about 5% of those. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's a watch the space rather than a sell. It's just above its three-point sell line, unless you fudge it. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it's a hold at this stage and see what happens. But it's not too far above the sell price, so if it goes below the sell price, sell it. So a lot of people have been talking about the sell price and whether or not we should fudge it. Should we fudge it? Uh, Yes and no. So the thing about the sell price is currently it's about 58 cents because it um, has a couple of um, low uh, previous or previous lows are quite low. But those lows will scroll off in four months time. So over the next four months, when the, the low lows scroll off, we'll be using the COVID low in March of 2020 and that will make it a sell unless the share price turns up quickly. So uh, you could fudge it now and try and sort of predict what will happen in four months' time. So if you, if I was fudging it, I'd use June 17 at 57 cents 
in October 20 to dollar 18, and I get a, a sell price of a dollar 20 and a half. So it's still just above that at the moment. If if people want to use the fudge, um, it's still it's still not a sell just yet. Dollar twenty seven fifty of five one point two seven five it is at the moment. Yeah, going to my phone, but the market hasn't opened yet. But yeah, okay. So no, even though they, you know, one of our rules for selling is bad news. This is bad news. Yep. But you're saying you would hold until it hits the three point trend line. Yeah, and ha- I understand that people want to fudge because we're only four months away from that fudge being the actual sell point. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. What's next? Uh, oh God, Apollo tourism. <laughs> Stock of the week. No. <laughs> We have a rule. It's a bylaw of QAV that we never talk about Apollo tourism. So the backstory for folks that are new, um, Apollo tourism who who uh, run businesses where they lease uh, like rental vans, the holiday vans, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, touring yeah, uh, camper vans, that kind of thing. They were the first ever stock we put in the QAV portfolio two mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. And then we sold them about a month later. For half their price or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when they dropped below their three-point sell line. And then we bought them again like a month after that when they yep. came above their buy price again. Yep. Then we sold them two weeks later when they fell again. <laughs> and so I said, that's it. We're never buying Apollo Tourism again. <laughs> Here we are two years later, your stock of the week. Yes. And it's you can see why it's... um. Its share price uh, last time I looked was about twenty-seven cents, and uh, its cap—sorry, um, uh, the cash per share, operating cash per share—is uh, eighty-four cents. So it's got far more cash per share than we're paying. So this is a classic case of paying fifty cents and buying a dollar for this business. Right. So that's why it scores really well. It comes in at, at the top of the buy list now. Uh, it's, um, it's had its problems, particularly during COVID. They, they launched an international expansion and then COVID hit, which kind of killed it all. So they've had problems. Part of their business model is once they get to the end of um, a useful life with a vehicle, say four or five years, they'll sell them. And that died during COVID because people weren't buying cars. But I think that's picked up now. Like We're seeing uh, car dealerships hit record highs on the share market now. So People can't go overseas and get a holiday in Australia and yep. buy a van. Yep, buy a van or rent one from Apollo, yeah. Yeah. The rental side might still be hurting, though, because there's no inbound overseas tourists right. hiring them and travelling around Australia, but the sales should be going well. Okay. So um, you would have no qualms, despite our rocky history with <laughs> Apollo tourism. Listen to the numbers. Don't yep. listen to my yep. bad history with yep. Apollo tourism. Correct. Okay. Yeah. All right. The other stock of the week I had was Lark Distilleries. <laughs> <laughs> Not for any reason other than you like whiskey. Yeah, I like Lark whiskey. <laughs> um, so it's it's currently a three-point trend line buy, but it doesn't meet the QIB score at all. <laughs> so not really a stock of the week? N- no. Just, could be stock of the year, though, if we <laughs> just <laughs> buy enough, buy enough yeah. to take it over or something. Yeah. yeah. When you say stock of the week, you mean you're stocking up on their whiskey, yeah. not actually Stock likes. of the whiskey, not stock of the week. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway's AGM was yesterday. Mm-hmm. You forgot. I missed. Yeah, missed it. But that's uh, very shocking. It today. is, yeah. And I, me too. Well, we were going to watch it together, but I got here a day late because uh, I missed my flight and lost my wallet, and that's why I missed my flight. Anyway, I went through the highlights and picked up a couple of quotes. Um, Warren, uh, Warren and Charlie were together. I think it was in LA they did it yeah, okay. instead of Omaha, and they did it virtually last year, and Charlie wasn't part of it, but uh, <laughs> they both survived another year miraculously. And uh, one of the, I've got a quote here from Warren. He was talking about Robinhood, the um, yep. low-cost broker app in the US, like uh, spaceship, isn't it? S- uh, superhero, superhero, okay. yeah, yeah. and uh, self wealth uh, mm. here. But he's he's referring to it as the casino aspect of the uh, of investing over there. He said it's you know it's just become a very significant part of the casino aspect of the casino group that uh, has joined into 
the, the stock market in the last year, year and a half. And uh, uh, I do want to see how, sort of how they handle the source of income when they they say they they don't charge the customer anything. I mean, it, it, uh, you know, uh, uh, it would be interesting to watch how they describe it. I mean, it, but but they uh, have attracted. Maybe set out to attract, but they have attracted. Uh, I think I read where twelve or thirteen percent of their their casino participants were dealing in puts and calls. I looked up on Apple, you know, the number of seven day calls and fourteen day calls outstanding, and I'm I'm sure a lot of that is coming through Robin, and that's a bunch of people writing. They're gambling on the price of Apple over the next seven days or fourteen. There's nothing, you know. There's nothing illegal about it. There's nothing immoral. Uh, but I don't think you'd build a society around people doing it. I mean, if a group of, a, a group of us li- landed on a desert island, we knew we'd never be rescued. And I was one of the group, and I said, well, I'll set up the exchange over here, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll trade, trade our corn futures and everything around. I think, I, I think the... Uh, the degree to which a very rich society uh, can reward people who now know how to take advantage, essentially, of the gambling instincts of the not only American public, worldwide public. It, it uh, you know, it, it's, it's not the most admirable part of the of of, of the accomplishment. So he's uh, he's basically painting out Robin Hood as exploiting. The uh, you know gambling instincts of Americans. Yeah, well, I mean, to Robin Hood's credit, it takes a lot of the barriers to share market investing away. So it's cheap to do it. You can buy really small parcels of shares. Um, the app provides you all the information that you need to to form an opinion and buy shares. So that's all good tip. But what Warren's saying is that you know this is kind of late stage market activity when you see people who haven't been in the market before coming in and using it as a casino. Yeah. Just like I was talking about last week, the three stages of the market, this is, this is getting into late-stage activity. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, newbies coming into the market, basically buying things on tips or because they read about it on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, um, they're always going to get crushed in the end. There'll, yeah. be some, there'll be some winners, but overall they'll, they'll either lose interest and fall away and forget they've got shares and not sell them when they should or... Uh, buying the stuff which has n- negative PE or high PE, and then when it come, finally comes back to worth, they'll lose all their money. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Charlie, <laughs> they asked, the two of them were asked questions about Bitcoin. <laughs> well, I, I knew there'd be a question on Bitcoin or crypto. And, and uh, I thought to myself, well, I've watched these politicians dodge questions all the time, you know, and, 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 uh, I always find it kind of disgusting when they do it, but the truth is I'm going to dodge that question because the, we probably got hundreds of thousands of people watching this that own Bitcoin, and we probably got two people that are short. So we got a choice of making 400,000 people mad at us and unhappy and, or making two people happy, and that's just a dumb equation. So I, I, I thought about it. We had, we had a governor one time in, in uh, Nebraska and a uh, long time ago, but uh, he would get a tough question, you know, what do you think about property taxes or, you know, what should we do about schools? And, and he'd look right at the person, he'd say, I'm all right on that one. <laughs> and then he'd just walk off. Well, I'm all right on that one, and maybe we'll see how Charlie is. <laughs> well, those who know me well are just waving the red flag of the bull. <laughs> of course I hate the Bitcoin success. And I don't welcome a currency that's so useful and to kidnappers and extortionists and so forth, nor do I like just shuffling out a few extra billions and billions and billions of dollars to somebody who just invented a new financial product out of thin air. So... I think I should say modestly that I think the whole damn development is disgusting and contrary to the interests of civilization. And I'll leave the criticism to others. (laughs) 
I'm all right on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us what you really think, Chuck. Oh, I, I concur with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. <clears throat> well, uh, do you have anything else before we get into Q&A? Uh, nope. That's me. Okay. Okay. First question comes from Joel. Uh, he says, hey, Cam, hope you're well. A few weeks ago, Tony mentioned his nephew was looking at the checklist and found price to cash flow was a key factor in the performance. This got me thinking, always dangerous, and I dissected the checklist. What I found is price to cash flow is responsible for a minimum of 96% of the outcome of the companies that QAV checklist produces. In fact, if you just do a screen for price to cash flow less than seven and SD max uptrend, and then just confirm the sentiment with three point trend line, you get a list identical to the QAV list. I can go into how I calculated this if you like, but I think Tony's attention should be drawn to this. And if he wants to include his other metrics, he will need to rejig his formula. Keen to hear what he thinks. Cheers, Joel. So um, we talked about this a little bit last night. What what, what do you take about uh, Joel's insights there, Tony? Yeah, pretty good insights. I mean, the, the checklist is very dominated by value for a start. So, you know, doing what he says, um, although I haven't done it to confirm it, probably sounds about right. I think the difference is between what he's doing and and, the, and running the full checklist will be that uh, two things. At the bottom of the checklist in particular, there'll be companies which have price to cash flow less than seven, but don't get a good QAV score. So um, when you say the bottom of the checklist, you mean the bottom, bottom of the bottom buy of list. The watch list. Sorry, um, <clears throat> the bottom of the watch list. So at the moment, there's uh, 260 odd stocks in the watch list. And that's simply a download from Stock Doctor with positive cash flow and then ranked by price to operating cash flow. And those are the less than seven, there's roughly 260 of them. But but um, at the bottom of the checklist, which cuts off at a, uh, at a price to cash flow of seven, so the bottom of the watch list, sorry, price to cash flow less than or equal to seven, we have companies like uh, Vital Life Sciences, Reckon, Oswide Banks, Eagers Automotives, and if I go across and look at what their QAV score is after we do the quality side of things, um, they're often below 0.1. So just let me scroll across and have a look. So yeah, so some of those I just read out. Vital Life Sciences, 0.09. Reckon, 0.07. Oswald Bank is still in there at 0.12. So it gets improved by the quality side of the checklist. Um, AP Eagers or Eagers Automotive is 0.09. Um, next one up the, up the list is Gold Road. Um, even though its cash flow is price to cash flow is less than 0.07, QIV scores 0.03. So probably the bottom 20% maybe, maybe even more than that. I'm just looking, just scrolling up here, uh, kind of just quickly. There's like 80 stocks on the bottom of the checklist, which um, may or, a majority of those might miss the, the buy list because of the quality score. So that's helping that. The other thing the quality score does is change the ranking. So um, at the top of the checklist, stocks like Apollo Tourism and Leisure, which just came in um, recently with a price to cash flow of, of less than one, is at the top of the buy list as well. But if you go down the list, um, companies like, so second on the list, on the buy list is uh, MaxiTrans. But if you look at the watch list, it's, there, it's further down the list than that. It's, um, it's number 40 or something like that. Well, uh, probably about number 15 on the watch list. So the, the quality side of things can promote things up the list. So if you're only buying the portfolio of 15 to 20 stocks, you'll have a different list if you do it with the full checklist versus just taking price to cash flow. So from what Joel's saying, using his um, simplified method, he's saying he gets pretty much the same list but then the issue is how do you stack rank those to get yeah. the top? How do you know what's the top 20? Yeah, that's right. And and I don't know if he's also done things like take out the qualified audits. That'll take half a dozen or so out of the list. And obviously sentiment takes out probably half this, but I think he used sentiment. He met, he's well. looking at sentiment, yeah. 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 But you, you're still going to end up with, a, at the moment anyway, a really long list of stocks mm-hmm. and you only want to buy 20. So the question mm. is, how do you stack rank them? Yeah. And you want to give, you want to promote the quality companies to the top of that list. Right. 
even th- even though you still want to take into account value, which is important. Mm. So I think I think yeah, following that conversation last night and Joel's question, I think the piece of work I need to do is to see if some of those quality scores need a higher number associated with them, like price to sorry, increasing net equity. That might need a score of five rather than one or two that it gets now. So. Yeah. And that might change the, the process as well. It's also possible, which I've seen occasionally, is that stocks which are below that points uh, seven times price to cash flow cutoff can get a point one score because the quality score is so good. Right. It'll bring a, you know, eight times cash flow or nine times cash flow into the buy list as well. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, um, take Joel's point. It definitely, we do definitely have a big bias towards value. Um, haven't run any sort of comparisons between what Joel's saying and what we do. Um, but my, my experience is the, uh, the whole process of promoting stocks up the list because of quality helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's raised a good question and I think I need to do some more work on whether quality has the right scores in the checklist. Mm. All right, good one, Joel. Made us think. Good God, thanks, Joel. <laughs> I've been doing this for 20 years and it's mechanical. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's one from um, Darren. I'm currently doing an evaluation on A2 Milk and on Stock Doctor, it has a listing of strong financial health, yet in the analyst's comments, February 26th, it says that it ceased covering A2 after a disappointing first half results and lack of clarity around near-term outlook, not a glowing endorsement. My question is, if the financial health is strong, why would it be giving the stock a current intrinsic value of $10.40, which is $3.24 above what it's currently trading at? Yeah, it's, I mean, um, first of all, you know, why are you even looking at A2 Milk, Darren? This is a, A2 Milk is a, cla- people should look at A2 Milk as a classic example of why you don't buy high growth stocks, Right, in the past it's traded on traded on PEs of sixties and fifties and seventies. Wow. And now it's down to seventeen. Right. So it's crashed, right? So right. as soon as COVID stopped them from selling as much milk into China or whatever the reason was, I think they had a I call them Daigus or something, who were buying milk powder here and sending it over there and that may not be their company, but things like that have happened in the last twelve months which has hurt their business. The share price comes crashing down to earth. So Right. Uh, and it, I've seen it time and time again with the high growth stories. They're always priced for perfection. And as soon as, as every business do, does, it hits an obstacle in the road, it comes crashing down. Uh, just like um, we just talked about Beach Petroleum, the difference is Beach Petroleum selling on a price to cash flow of whatever it is, six, five, seven. When it crashes, it crashes 20 or 30%. When a company like A2 Milk crashes, it crashes 60 or 70%, right? So, that does it. Yeah. So, First of all, I, um, you know, I'm not an expert on these companies. So I just stay away from them. So understanding why it's IV is ten dollars, I find hard to do. And of course, the Lincoln indicator IV is their secret herbs and spices. So we don't know how it's calculated. Right. I suspect that the share price I think is now around seven bucks, and they're saying the IV is ten dollars. It's because it's crashed so much. It's now probably either properly valued or slightly undervalued. Right. Would be my guess. Um, but I have no idea why it's ten dollars forty. I know that the consensus IV is eight dollars forty, so the market's a little bit above where the share price is currently. But yeah, um, that's about all I can say about it. Really, it's weird. It, it hit its peak uh, around about twenty bucks in July twenty twenty. Yeah. So after the COVID crash, um, so and- something's happened. I'm not sure what's happened, but but like I say, it's some kind of roadblock has happened. To the company, right, and they do sell milk into China. So the whole thesis of A2 milk is it doesn't have the protein which makes people who are lactose intolerant get sick, right? So which is um, prevalent in China. So they've been selling this milk into China. Something happened in the last sort of nine months that uh, put the brakes on that, right? Um, so your first point is this isn't a stock that you'd even look at, correct? Secondly, uh, the, the whole idea about why Stock Doctor may give it strong financial health but then not be analysing it, we don't know. That's a question for Stock well, Doctor, really. Well, they stopped. They said they stopped analysing it because the last results weren't good. Right. So they, But why would you stop analysing it if the results aren't good? Uh, it possibly was a star stock in the past and they got taken out because of that, maybe. Right, okay. I'm not sure. But, but yeah, they, um, 
I think A2 milk has been a star stock in the past, so they've probably given up on it. Right. I guess, yeah. And the other question is, I think um, Darren was saying it's got strong financial health and the IV is above the share price. Well, that kind of makes sense to me. Stock Doctor are saying it's got good financial health, so they're rating it above the share price. Right. Yeah. Good financial health, but a disappointing result and lack of clarity around the near-term outlook. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry, Darren. Next one is from Devashi. I could, I could do the, the uh, Charlie Munger answer. Which is? It's, it's a blight against modern society. <laughs> High-growth stocks attract people to invest in them. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us what you really think, Charlie. Uh, Devashi says, uh, Hi, Cam. I own the company Carbon Revolution. Oh, again. CBR. Again. No. This is, guys, this is not the high-growth stock <laughs> investing podcast. <laughs> they build carbon fiber wheels for racing cars. I bought it at $1.40 during the COVID crash, and the share went up to about $3.00 and then came back down to $2.40. They have advised of new share issue at $1.60 to institutional and retail investors. The reason for the new share issue is to build a new mega factory that would more than double the production capacity because quite a few electric cars have placed orders. On this news, the share price dropped to about $1.70. The below questions are not specifically about CBR, but are more general in nature. A, what are your thoughts on why companies issue new shares at such a steep discount? Yeah, so the reason for that is because they're taking into account the dilution effect of the new shares. So I, I did go through the carbon revolution numbers yesterday when I was prepping for the show. So um, carbon revolution are raising $95 million in new um, equity. Their current market cap is $264 million, so the, the new shares will dilute the current market cap or current shares by 36%. And the share price fell 28% after the announcement or 38% from its recent high of $2.70, so... It's dilution. It's dilution, yeah. Right. Yep. Well, that makes sense. Uh, second question, why does the price on the market usually come down to match a new issue share price? Share issue price, same, same thing. Answer. Yeah, dilution, yeah. yeah. So it's basically, you, you know, if you take the um, value of this, so if you use the coffee shop analogy, if you've mm-hmm. got... 10 shareholders and the business is worth $100,000 and each shareholder has one share, their shares are worth Mm $10,000 each. But if the company's issuing 10 new shares, your your value is going to half as a shareholder. Correct. Yeah. Per share. Per share. Yeah. And so if you don't take up your rights and put more money into the business, your share of the company goes down as well. Yeah. Yeah, which might be important in the coffee shop analogy if you're trying to control what the coffee shop does, for example. Right. May not may not be important in carbon revolution if you get diluted or not, because it's not paying a dividend or um, it's not even profitable. In fact, look, guys, these these companies, they just when you buy a share in a company like Carbon Revolution, you're buying a, an option to put more money in down the track. So they're always going to come back to the market asking for more money. I, I again would steer clear of this. It makes no money. Negative return on equity, um, minus 67% net profit margin, free cash flow of minus 31 cents per share. Um, it's always going to need to issue more shares. This is just the first of many capital raisings for a company like this. But I think Devashi's question is more around general principles. Why do these yeah. why do these issues come in at a certain price? Yeah, the market works out the dilution effect pretty quickly. Right. He says, CBR wouldn't be a QAV-type company. I'm new to QAV and so still have some non-QAV stocks right. in my portfolio. Okay. Yeah. And Devashi's forgiven. <laughs> so you, you've been Get rid of them. <laughs> yeah. All right. Not financial advice, Devashi. No. Just Tony's opinion. Glenn. Hi, Cam. I'm just working through the TK buy list. I don't own MML but was running it through the checklist. When assessing the 3PTL, there are two peaks in August 2020 and February 21 at 94 cents. Does this mean it would be best to wait until it breaks through the byline of 94 cents? Or is the 3PTL byline from September 2019 and January 2020 peaks, which would mean it's maintained being above the three-point buy since breaking through in January 2020? Um, yeah, so currently uh, that's right. But there's two peaks, August 2020 and February 2020 at... February 21? Uh, 21, sorry, at 94 cents. So you'd be waiting for a buy 
for the stock price to get above that. However, we did do an episode once before on the buy line follows the sell line. So there's been a sell in this company. Um, if you go to the left of the graph, there's a couple of peaks there. Uh, April 16, September 16. And if you take those down, it was a it was a buy back in June of 19. Um, and then you look for a look for a sell before it would have occurred. It hasn't been a sell for a long time since then. I think it's still probably in buy territory. So the last, if you draw the sell line first, it's probably the easier way of doing it. June 17 is the low point. And then I think we're going to go through September 17 or perhaps November 18. But either way, we're going to get a sell price of around sort of 35 cents. So it's way, way above that. So I'd be looking at the um, buy price that, that happened earlier in the period and, and be buying it around June 19. But but certainly if you haven't bought it yet and you want to wait and follow the three-point trend line um, formula, you'd wait until 94 cents, which is those two. Right. Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you say it's just been a buy since mid-2019? Yeah, so that's what I am saying. That's what I would do. I'd say go back and look at the sell line and then work out where the previous buy was um, in June 19 and say it was a buy since then. Yeah, yeah, but then you just said if you didn't own it, you yeah. Wait so until it hit. well, it's so I, I'm pretty sure I own this stock, and I would have bought it back then. So I, these two peaks wouldn't have been in play when I bought it. Yeah. But, but coming in now, if you want to follow the the three point trend line sort of classic method, then there's your two high points, and you're waiting till ninety four cents. But it's already in a buy situation because the share price is going up. Yeah. Yeah. So really, it's been a buy for nearly two years. Yeah, correct. And remains as a buy. Correct. Yeah. Right. Because it hasn't breached the sell line. Mm-hmm. There you go, mate. Hope that helps. Rowan, does Tony find at the peak of market cycles and or for a few years before one that gold miners tend to start scoring higher? I haven't noticed that, no. No, so I, I started buying gold stocks... Um, a lot of gold stocks about four or five years ago, uh, which would be 2016. So that wasn't a market peak at all. No. And I think the gold price tends to be counter-cyclical. So even though it's been going up recently and the market has too, you generally would see the gold price go up if there's a market crash. Because people use it as a store. store. Yeah. So I don't think so. But I, I haven't really done any sort of analysis on that. But my experience is no. Yeah, I can't think of why gold miners would go up during peaks. It's possible other miners do. I mean, things like the iron ore miners, for example, are, are, are rising because the world economy is booming. There's more steel usage going on. Things are being built. Um, so that's a sign of a robust economy, which I guess would eventually become a peak. So there the, could be a correlation there. Is it people buying gold because they think the market's about to crash when it's at a peak? Yeah, possibly. They're putting some of their money, like you would, some of the funds that we talk to put their, you know, big, if they think it's, we're in bubble territory, they, you know, put some money into cash. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe some of them put it into gold as well. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. But I, that's not a phenomenon I've seen or used or experienced. Paid attention to. Yeah. But if, who was that? Sorry. Uh, Rowan. Rowan. So if Rowan's got some analysis, happy to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Rowan. Last question. It's going to be a really short show this week, uh, which is good because I need to get to Melbourne. <laughs> ben, you have time to take Fox play golf now. I do, yeah. It's good. Did uh, Bank of Queensland, BOQ, drop off the buy list due to share price increase or because the financials have slipped value or quality? Uh, from memory, the financials were, were good. Um, and BOQ's, I think, back on the buy list now. Really? Yeah, it went to the. It's gone down. Gone down list. It's about the fourth bottom last one. Um, sorry. Oh no, sorry. It's fallen off. My mistake. It's now got a. I take that back. It's now got a QAV score of 0.05. Right. Share prices looks like it's at a high. Yeah. Nine dollars ish. Yeah. Um, I'd have to go back and see what it was before. Uh, it was nine ninety two back in September twenty nineteen. Crashed during COVID. But it's nearly back at its all-time high by the looks of it. 
Yeah, I'm just going to call up. Oh, no. wow. Let's see if I can find an old version of the buy list. It was as high as 13 bucks back in 2017. I know it did that uh, acquisition recently, right? Emmy Bank. Bank. Yeah. Mm. So I don't know if that's in, in the current figures, though. Let me just have a look where BOQ was. Yeah, it's actually uh, it's good good point. So prior to the results, the quality score was sixty nine percent, and now the results so after the results, the quality score is thirty six percent. So it's going to be both declining quality and rising share price. Right, mm. both, both had an impact on it. Yep, and it's back to point oh five. So the the, the QAV score's gone down a lot. Okay. Well. That may be the show for the week. Um, we have dinner tonight with the guys in Melbourne. Yeah, unless something... I might, I might record some stuff over dinner tonight. Yeah. Take too. my microphone. Okay. Ask people... They can ask you live questions. Yeah. Over well, Japanese. Well, they can give us some um, some uh, yeah, anecdotes of how they've been going with the process. Yeah, that'd be good, actually. Yeah. I'll take my mic and we'll do that. Okay. Uh, looking forward to that. Uh, so, yeah, look, and there's been very few questions coming through the last uh, few weeks. Not exactly sure why, but... Um, We're good teachers. <laughs> <laughs> Either people feel like everything's already been answered or, uh, I don't know, they're suffering from investing fatigue. I don't know what it is. but So if you have questions about anything, feel free to email them to me or put them up on the Facebook group if you're a QOV Club member. Um, otherwise, uh, we'll have to start talking about golf on this or yeah, okay. uh, horses or, <laughs> or movies or something. <laughs> you got any horses running this weekend? Not this weekend. Um, oh. I'll be in Wagga for the Gold Cup on Friday, which will be fun. Uh, actually, it might be this weekend. Yeah, sorry, Princess Rapples might run in Adelaide this weekend. It's either this Saturday or the Saturday after. I think it might be this one. Oh, look, before I forget, one thing I did want you to tell the story of this week is how you bought this uh, land at Cape Shane. Ah, right. Uh, yeah, so um, this is going. This, this land was bought about 22, 23 years ago. And there was a, a couple of quizzes I was on. So back when Who Wants to Be a Millionaire came out, there was lots of imitators. One of them was uh, Triple M, the radio station in Melbourne, had a quiz in the mornings where you had to phone in and for 15 days straight win the quiz without being beaten and the prize was $50,000. So I did that. And you won. And I won, yeah. <laughs> so you had to phone every morning yep. for 15 days. So we were like, Jenny and I used to lie in bed. This was just after we got married before Alex came along and um, I'd answer all the questions like just lying in bed. And then Jenny said, you should enter. And I said, oh, I don't want to. Don't want to do that, can't be bothered. But she rang up and entered me. <laughs> so I get this phone call at like quarter to seven one morning. Yeah. Are you ready? It's like, what? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I used to have to get on the phone at like 10 to seven every morning. Wow. And face off against someone. Um, and it was kind of interesting because it, uh, it was general knowledge, but they skewed it towards because of their listenership. It was like, you know, who's on the front cover of Who magazine and and, you know, what did this latest AFL player do and stuff like that? So I had to spend a lot of time buying Women's Weekly and Who <laughs> magazines and reading them every week to, to get through the questions. But oh, um, no. yeah, celebrity gossip. Yeah, um, but it was a lot of general general knowledge as well of the film and TV and stuff. So, so you won fifty grand. Yeah, holy shit. Yeah, which um, paid for half the land here. So Jenny and I spent a weekend driving around. Coastal Victoria, looking at properties and things, going to buy a beach house. And what was here then? Uh, nothing. So there were a few houses around, but the National was here. National was here, and uh, but there was nothing on this land. It was a block that hadn't been improved since the since they opened the National. Um, and we bought it. We went halves with Jenny's sister, and then we bought it. And then a bit later on, I won another seventy four thousand dollars on a TV quiz show. A TV quiz show. Yeah, so Channel 7 had a competitor to Who Wants to Be a Millionaire called Million Dollar Chance of a Lifetime, where you um, it was similar in style, but you had to kind of decide how much you'd risk on each question, and if you if you lost, you lost it all. So mm-hmm. I, I kept 
doubling up until I got to 74000 and then said that's enough and took the money and ran before I lost. The story Alex <laughs> told me was they, they were putting pressure on you to come back. Yeah. Because they wanted you to lose it. Yeah. And exactly. you went, no, I'm good. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Classic Tony. Exactly. You're like, no, I'll take the money. Thanks. Well, what I, well that, the full story is I, um, like I used to watch the show and keep records of when people get knocked out. Yeah, yeah. And, and how, <laughs> yeah, the far, how far I would get into the show. And I worked there like it last about six or seven questions before. I, like I had a really good chance of lasting six or seven questions. Right. Yeah. They got progressively harder? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I think they're pretty hard all the way through. So right. just on averages, you're going to come up against a bad one. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, and then actually when we went for the show, there was like, a, <clears throat> they, they took in the pool of about a dozen people, but only put half of those to air. And they did lots of warm up rounds. And I think I only got to question 10 about twice out of about 10 goes or something, which was the best score, but it was still really hard to do. Mm-hmm. So I knew I wasn't going to go the whole way through and win a million bucks. And I've kind of worked out the right point to exit. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, I was the last person because it used to show on air on Friday, uh, on weeknights at 5.30 or something. Right. And I was the Friday contestant so they could hold me over till the next Monday. Right. And they publicised the hell out of it, you know, will Tony last and all this. So, like, I'm, I I was um, – I went to – actually, it was I think it was Mark Rod's birthday where I was, we were in Wagga. And every, everywhere we'd go, there'd be ads on the in the TV pub, you know, the pubs on TV and stuff saying, Will Tony last? And I'd be sort of cringing and everyone going, Hey, that's that guy! <laughs> and the pubs and things. So wow. Yeah, quite. Do you have that on video? I do on video, on VHS somewhere. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, and then when I went back, I um, I didn't answer. Like you, I went back the next, had to go back the next week, and they put me in the chair and said, Well, are you going to go on and take the money? And said, Take the money. So I left with, with the money, um, but they used that like will Tony take will Tony take the money or play on as their promotion. So, like after filming, I was in the casino at Sydney celebrating with a, with a mate. <laughs> this on the big widescreen TV above the bar, <laughs> my face was plastered up there, and someone goes, "Hey, that's this guy!" <laughs> and I'm like had to buy about you know twenty rounds. Of yeah, so that was a that was a quiz cash, and it, it um, paid for the well, a lot of the house anyway. Right. Yeah. 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 So you haven't been on a trivia show since then. I went on um, sale of the century, but didn't get didn't get anywhere with that. I won a, like a camera or something from memory, um, and I went on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, but didn't get through the fastest finger first at the start. Who was the host of Sale of the Century? Uh, back then, it was Glen Ridge. Oh, right. Who was the original guy here? Tony Barber. Tony Barber. Yeah. Oh, my God. Is he still around? <laughs> I played golf with him about um, 10 years ago. So wow. Yeah, so, yeah. Right. It was in like a celebrity prime day. For $500, is Tony Barber still alive today, Tony? I'd say yes. Uh, well, we'll see. Tune in next week yeah. to see if Tony gets the $500. <laughs> so have you always been good at trivia? Yeah. Why are you good at trivia, do you think? Good memory, I think. Yeah? Yeah. Just seeps in and stays there. Wow. Mm. I have the opposite. I don't remember anything. Well, you were playing along last night to Spicks and Specs and doing well. Yeah, I don't know how. <laughs> I know, yeah, I know. <laughs> Some things stay in there, but not much. I don't know. Yeah. I used to have a really good memory 30 years ago, but the older I get... Yeah, I, I just, find that too. I don't even... Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, well, there you go. That's yeah. the Tony trivia story for this week. Yeah. If you have trivia questions, maybe we should do a, a round of trivia at the end of every episode from now on. <laughs> okay. See how far you get. <laughs> you have to give me a million dollars every time you lose a question. Oh, right. Okay. okay. All right. Have okay. a good week, everyone. Thank you. Bye. So um, I'm at the – oh, that's noisy. I'm going to hold it down there. So I'm at the uh, tail end of the Melbourne dinner. It's 20 past nine. It's Monday the 3rd of May, 4th, 3rd, some 3rd. says it right up there in my room. Uh, we've got a dozen people or so sitting around the table here, and I thought I'd just pass the mic around and get people to, I don't know, talk about QAV, see what comes up. Might all be shit, and I'll have to edit it out, but there might be some gems of wisdom here. Let's start with Andy. Andy. What do you have to say, Andy? Well, Cam, thank you uh, for throwing the mic uh, this way. But uh, the reason that I got into QAV was because my wife was making all the investment decisions. And uh, she made some great ones. And then they, they, a couple of them just didn't go so well. So it was time to grab um, the bull by the horns and, uh, and get up to speed with it. 
and QAV came along at the right time. How did you hear about QAV? Uh, through my learned brother, uh, who somehow knew you. Yeah, I don't know where he. Yeah, so you heard about word of mouth from your brother. Word of mouth. How long have you been? Ago. Two years. Yeah, I think September nineteen. Yeah, you've been listening for two years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Solid. Great. How's it going for you? It is going. It's going well. Exactly as it's promised. Well, not promised, but exactly as it indicated. Um, it is uh, the portfolio is looking good. I've, I probably just got into it uh, in a more serious way in the last three four months. So not reaping the full rewards of um, two years of listening to it, but. Um, it is going well as a concept. And for me, I was just saying to the boys before, it's very empowering because I always thought it was you really need to study it um, at, you know, at uni or something like that to, to continue with it. But um, this has really made it very digestible and empowering. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Uh, Darren, you're new. You've been listening for, what, two weeks? I have been listening for two weeks, yeah. I, um, I heard about it through another podcast um, and uh, ended up listening to the first episode and then uh, signed up because I just um, I was just saying to you before that the, the, the story uh, that Tony tells about um, his father uh, and how pissed off he was uh, that his father got some really bad advice um, and uh, the fact that you know he wanted to re-educate people on how to become financially literate um, really struck a chord with me. And uh, so, yeah, so I think that for me um, it's that scientific approach that's really um, helped because so often in the past it's just been very theoretical. And I was just saying to one of the other guys here at the table that um, there's so many metrics that you can look at and view and you almost get paralysed by inertia because there's too much information, um, whereas this is uh, really sort of delivered in, in bite-sized chunks that you can understand. Um, and not only do you get the, the, the metrics that are used to determine the value of a stock or not, but you get a really good um, warts and all view of why this metric is important, not just, you know, uh, just use these metrics and then go off and buy your shares or anything else. <laughs> It really helps me understand anyway um, why it is that uh, that particular metric in combination with other metrics uh, are important. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to the journey. Thanks, Darren. Jeff, you want to say a few words? Sure. We gathered here today. Yeah, we gathered here today. Thanks, Ken. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I've been involved uh, twice as long as Darren. I've been involved for about a month. And um, I think it's me for being coming from a sort of a semi-property maybe passive investing, ETF investing, not knowing much about it and being a little cynical about it to just learning a lot in a, um, a month and more understanding the terminology and that there is actually a bit of a science and a methodology and a process to not just, you know, dumping money into stocks and hopefully it pans out, but there's a sort of a longer term of process. I've got four grown-up kids and I would like for them to be much better at this than I have ever been and so I think there's a way now of getting them to start understanding this, start doing some early investing. And they may never be, <coughs> pardon me, um, avid investors, but if they were to set up at you know their various ages now and run it for the next 20, 30 years, they will be a schist load better off <laughs> than, than than I was. So I think that's probably for me a good legacy for them. So yeah. That's my that's my reasons. Thank you. Dave. Oh Dave. Want to say a few words about your sure. QAV experience? You've been around a long time. Sure. Yeah. How did, you, how did you end up hearing that? I ended up here the same reason, reason Andy did through his brother Paul as well. I've known Paul for many, many years and uh, we, were, we were chatting about in, in investing. Um, I, I have a, a, chunk, a chunk of change with a fund manager at the, at the moment and I've got also got a little QAV portfolio. So I've got a lovely little competition going on with my professional financial advisor and uh, Tony, in, in effect, and uh, Tony, Tony, Tony's clearly winning at the moment. So it's really annoying, my guy. And uh, so that's been really fun. And I can't wait to buy, as just one last thing, can't wait to buy Apollo Tourism and Leisure oh, yeah. oh, now that it's back on the buy list. Do that to Come on, Cam. <laughs> if we piss off enough financial advisors, I wonder when one of them's going to put a hit out on Tony. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's all security. Cam, did you know it doubled? 
Uh, the last couple of days, it does. Yeah. I know, we talked about it on the show this morning. It's oh, Tony's stock of the week. <laughs> I'm just, I'm horrified. <laughs> you want to talk about your QAV? How did you come across QAV and what have you learned? I was actually listening to another podcast. It was a US podcast that was, um, I can't remember the name of it right now, but it was, it was uh, does investing and it does some other stuff. And you're actually talking about marketing the Messiah on that podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, yeah, but, yeah, I remember that guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't remember his name. Yeah, me either. His yeah, podcast yeah. is actually named after his name. But anyway, um, so that's where I heard you. Now, I've been listening to his podcast for a bit and I thought, this kind of sounds all right, but it's in America and it doesn't all translate properly. Um, and then you come on and I thought, uh, I've all, kind of had been thinking about writing to him actually and say, do you know of anything similar in Australia? Then you came on and I thought, oh, that's when I jumped on, started I listening. I briefly mentioned on that that we did an investing show. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, did, no, yeah. And I thought, oh, because I kind of like what you're talking about, the marketing messiah. And then um, I thought, oh, I'll jump on and just have a listen to your other podcast, and I guess the rest is history. Yeah. So what have you what have you uh, learned from QAV over the, what, What's been the main takeaway for you so far? Oh, the main thing is just getting me off my backside and doing something. Right. So I was kind of um, sitting on you know a fair bit of equity in my house with interest rates sitting so low, kind of itching, thinking I should be doing something, but I don't know what it is. And that's where it kind of um, got me moving, I guess. And the fact that it kind of relates to me, um, what the other guys are talking about, the scientific approach, I like that. I like it to be, we can put it in a spreadsheet, calculate it, black and white, set my stop loss, just, you know, whether it works or not, just trust it and it, it seems to be working. But, you know, it's done well. Um, I, got in, I started doing the investing halfway through October. The first two weeks it just went straight down. But since then it's, it's um, done really good. I, think I was saying the last week of March was terrible, but apart from those three weeks I guess it's been, been pretty steady probably better than what expected yeah yeah good that's good what's going on James awesome. very quick one how did you discover QAV and what have you learned QAV I, I honestly can't remember but it was sometime <laughs> during that sort of April May period last year us Melbournians were having our one hour of exercise within 5k of our home <laughs> Um, and uh, podcasts were were an essential companion to the the daily walk around the neighbourhood, um, and so I started to to appreciate the the wit and the intelligent conversation between <laughs> you and Tony. Only half joking with that can. <laughs> <laughs> um, <Are you> joking? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and look, I guess for me, I was doing all the things that they say you shouldn't do. I was taking the latest stock tip on Motley Fool and just putting some money into it, just, to, you know, regardless of timing. And the sum total of all of my uh, investing endeavors up to that point was some very healthy, stroke unhealthy tax losses, which I'm finally managing to, to soak up. So... Look, I think what I've learned is um, the, the mental side of investing. There's the, there's the method, but there's the mental side of investing and that behavioral component, which I, I d- totally underappreciated before. It's really critical. That was me. Um, I stumbled onto QAV. Um, I started listening to podcasts, just random podcasts during uh, lockdown, and then just stumbled onto QAV just by surfing. And um, I'd been looking for something for a while where I had money in managed funds and um, was really disappointed in um, the results I was getting. I felt like I didn't have any say or control over what I was doing um, and really searching for to be able to contribute myself and take control, I suppose, more of my finances. Um, you get recommendations, but there would be... Uh, Nobody telling you when to get out or uh, what now buy or just advice on um, different aspects of the shares and when to, when to um, buy extra shares with um, capital raising and all those type of things that do come up from time to time that when you're not experienced at them, you do quite easily make mistakes. And uh, yeah, I found it to be uh, extremely beneficial and... Yeah, it's great to now have that control and set up my own account with um, stop losses and that type of thing. And um, yeah, it's good. Great, thanks. 
Hi, my name is Sam. I stumbled onto QAV when I was learning to to use a podcast on my iPhone. And uh, I was in, in my investment journey. I had decided I wanted to go into shares and I was looking for some guidance. Um, and I, I guess... Uh, it was very early days. I think it was your your second or third podcast, and um, so I've been following ever since. And uh, I find that uh, every every time or as it goes, I I, I learn more and more, and I, I enjoy the hunger for you know more books and more methodologies, and I enjoy the variety of uh, interviews. And, you know, there's um, there's certainly uh, a, a lot of different ways to to invest, and it's it's always nice to see other methods and uh, and um, yeah to to refer back to the to the QAV method as a comparison. It's it's nice it's nice to know that you're doing we're doing well with that. What do you think is the um, what's the number one thing you've learned from Tony over the period? Um, stick to your guns and stick to your method. You know. Um, Trust the figures, or, or, or revert back to the figures, uh, and, and try to uh, avoid listening to the noise too much, which is very easy. You know, it's it's all around us. So, um, yeah, patience and and look at the figures. And uh, one thing I have changed a lot over the last a year or so is is uh, I try not to trade too often. So. Sticking to the three-point trade line is a, is a nice way to avoid uh, trading too often. Yeah. Jean-Pierre. Uh, How long have you known Tony? Uh, I, I think it's 30, 35 years. I think. <laughs> so um, yeah, so I, I've known Tony a long time. Provided a fair bit of guidance as far as s- sort of the financial fundamentals along the way which are sort of followed. But um, I suppose I went through the period of uh, going to Oliver Managed Funds. It was probably probably for a point of laziness, but I think over the last two years, um, sort of focused on the, on the whole QAV process uh, since the podcast has come along. So it's, I suppose, provided me with the, sort of the fundamentals behind that and the sort of scientific part of sort of choosing what stocks and when to, when to buy and when to sell. So the podcast has been real valuable. And I, I suppose during that period, I've been a bit more focused on uh, on the method and, um, and staying true, true to you. You know, if you come up with a decision, just run with it and uh, don't uh, – t- too often you, through investing, you can sort of sit, oh, I should, there should be a buy or I should do something. And then you sort of think about it and go away and you don't do it and then you always regret it. So uh, it's like yeah. uh, make a decision and run with it and uh, and then deal with it. Um, and then, yeah, be patient as well is sort of the other keeping and part of it. Um, also got the kids also um, invested in, in the shares as well, um, so both my daughter and son and um, my other daughter will eventually, they'll, they'll have some uh, shares and they, they, they trade those as well as a sort of part of the education process. Yeah. Thanks. Chrissy, yeah, <laughs> a trip to Melbourne for now yeah, and yeah. meeting nice people. <laughs> Chrissy, well, Chrissy. we have known Tony for ages and had no clue about this. Is it funny? We kind of knew that he invested, but um, yeah, it, that, that's what's hilarious to me. <laughs> yeah. What's hilarious to me is Chrissy and I have been together for 13 years. Uh, in that time, I've produced like 10,000 podcasts. She's never listened to a single <laughs> podcast true. I've ever made. I've listened to a few episodes. <laughs> but you listened to those before you met me. I listened to the chat at dinner time podcast. Right. Yeah. Like the just line. Chrissy and Cam podcast no. where you summarize <laughs> all the podcasts yeah. for me. So and Chrissy and I are starting a travel podcast okay. where we talk about our travels. So you should check that Yajamo. out. Yajamo. Yeah. Yeah, it's the tax deduction, <laughs> tax write-off podcast. Yeah. We haven't figured out how to say that in Italian yet, so stay tuned for the title. Bella's <laughs> going. Yeah. Yeah. So if you've got yeah. to the podcast, does that mean you've heard about the pole dancing reference? <laughs> what? <laughs> nice one.